Hello and welcome to Talking Talk, the podcast for the MediaBios.com. Joining me today is Brent. Hello. TJ. Hello. David. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast we record where we tell you the things we've been watching. We'll tell you some news if we Google it fast enough. And we will also give you a recommendation of what to go to the theaters and see. And we're bringing homework back. So we'll also have a recommendation for homework at the end of the show. Um, I don't know when we'll record the episode where we talk about the movie we assigned for homework, but that's just the nature of this assignment. Yeah, y'all know us. Yeah. So, without further ado, let's go to the watch list. Who wants to go first? I'll go. Brent! <laughs> You're a guy. <laughs> Uh, I watched a few movies this week, so uh, my wife and I watched Blade Runner, the final cut. Is this which, the one that you're supposed to watch? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is uh, Ridley Scott's endorsed version of the movie. The only one he says he had full like control over. Right. The one with the voiceover removed. Right. Speaking of Ridley Scott, is there any movies he's done where he hasn't done a director's cut? <laughs> no. Maybe besides The Martian? Like, Kingdom of Heaven has a famous director's cut. I feel like there's a bunch of his that do. Even movies where no one's requesting anything, like 1492, The Conquest of Paradise. <laughs> director's cut. <laughs> Final edition. Um, Too hot for TV. Right. But, uh, no, it was really, I, I really enjoyed uh, revisiting this movie. And it's on Netflix. The uh, It's the first time the Final Cut, I think, has been available on the for free on the streaming services. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, it's really good, and it really made me want to go back and rewatch uh, 2049, because it's been now a couple of years yeah. since I've seen that, so. It's a great movie. Um, it is just uh, an incredible achievement in world building, and, uh, I don't know, have you seen Blade Runner? Yeah. You, everybody's seen Blade Runner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, I mean, I did see it when, it was at, like, five months when my back was out. Oh, yeah. So I watched probably it and like all the Indiana Jones movies but also all the like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies in like one day <laughs> so I should probably revisit it I think last time I saw it was in college when I downloaded it off Kazaa whoa statue whoa. of limitations we cover the microphone <laughs> Kazaa light do they have a Kazaa light yeah okay uh, but yeah I don't really have a lot to say about it it's just it's you know it's worth seeing and I wanted to let people know that the the it, all the different versions of this movie can be really confusing to people. Yes. And so... Well, they're a shit ton. Yeah. And yeah. so, for a long time, the shitty version, the theatrical release, was on Netflix. And it was the voiceover one. And the voiceover is awful. Yeah. In that movie. There's there's the, always the <clears throat> the line that I point to is when, uh, <clears throat> when Deckard is saying about um, Edward James Olmos' character. And he's... Or, or, <clears throat> or they're, they're talking, and then he refers to uh, one of the... Uh, Blade Runners, and he they clearly use like they call him like a skin job or something. Yeah, and then the voiceover is like skin job was a derogatory term for these androids that would go wild, and it's like yeah, I caught that from all the acting. <laughs> yeah, like I don't like and plus like what phrase that ends in job describing a person is ever going to be good? Odd job. Didn't think of that, did you? Damn, he's a villain. Yeah, but he doesn't think he is. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know. He cuts people's heads off with his hat. I'm pretty sure he's aware that no one does that other than, like, Kung Lao from Mortal Kombat. He's like, and it's like, cool. I'm fucking killing this villain shit. <laughs> Use my hat. Uh, your, uh, Brent, your wife really wanted to let us know that she thought that Daryl Hannah killing the person with her thighs after doing all the flips, that her face was hilarious during that scene. 
and that makes me really want to rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thought. Yeah. It's uh, you know it's listed on Netflix, on Netflix as a comedy as an action adventure movie, which it doesn't really. It's not really an action movie. It's got like one or two scenes. I think you're going to yeah. be disappointed if you're like looking for an action movie and you put on Blade Runner. Yeah, because it's a it's ne- a more neo noir. Yeah, it's a noir movie that's concerned with like the philosophy of what it means to be human, which right. is not what I'm signing up for when I'm looking through the action adventure pages. Yeah. Um, but so you have to be in the mood for a um. The detective a, story. A detective yeah. story. That even goes like a little slower than I think probably a lot of like modern detective stories do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I bet that if you typed in like the, you know, like the Netflix genre secret codes, I bet if you typed it in uh, for noir, it would be there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I get why it's more salable to call it action adventure because... It's not the kind of movie where, like, once you start it, you're hooked. Because, like, once you start it, you'll probably, if it's not your thing, you'll know fucking immediately. Yeah. Yeah. The movie's pretty quickly into its element. Very um, deliberate pace, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a movie from 2015, which, <clears throat> when this popped up as a recommended movie on Netflix, uh, I just assumed this was some 2020 movie that Netflix was trying to push. Some original Netflix film. And... Uh, instead, it was a movie that I was never even aware came out, um, and I'm, I'm sure at least some of you are. Mr. Right? Yeah, I saw that. Sam Rockwell. And Anna Kendrick? Oh, yeah. Sam Rockwell is a hitman. It's a romantic comedy, and I did not think it was very good. No. I thought they actually had pretty decent chemistry, but the the story of it all was just uh, all over the place. The writing is really dog shit. Yeah. Like, when they start, when he's like, oh, you've got a killer's instinct in you, which means you have supernatural agility and dexterity, and they have that scene where he's just throwing kitchen knives at her, and she's giggling the whole time, going, oh, this is fun, like, throw more! Yeah. It's like, when is this fucking movie? It's just like, it's it's so bizarre. It is so tonally all over the place, there's like, there's a moment, you know how every romantic comedy has to have like, con- like a... After they get together, after they have the meet cute, there has to be the conflict where she's unhappy with him. And so it's after she sees him kill a guy. Right. Uh, which actually does result in the one part of the movie that actually made me laugh, which is he gets back in the car and she's just like, please take me home. And he, and Sam Rockwell just perfectly delivers the line, are you mad because I killed that guy? <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that what it was? Is it's it good, that? That's a good Sam Rockwell impression. And, and uh, but man, most of the movie did not make me laugh. At all. The, it's not the only movie that Max Landis wrote that year, and I think it's probably the best movie he wrote oh that God, year. Oh, God, what else did he write? Victor Frankenstein. You remember that piece of shit? <laughs> no, I no, actually no. saw that one. It's <laughs> the one with uh, uh, Dan Ratcliffe as um, Igor. and uh, Is Thomas Jane in that? No, no, no. That's I Frankenstein. There you go. <laughs> uh, is this sequel to I Robot? The guys from the Place the Beast and Split and Glass. That's Frank- oh, James McAvoy. Yeah, it's not a Frankenstein. McAvoy. All right. Oh man, that would be quite wrote... a gauntlet, like a contender. He did write Chronicle. That was like his first film he wrote, and then it was just downhill from there. He wrote American Ultra too, which I saw it was bad. Does, Mr. Wright has kind of a improv vibe to it, but not in a good way. It's sort of like no one gave, and that, that's what it. That's what you spoke to, which was just horrible writing. Yeah. There's, there's like one shining moment, I think, throughout the whole movie. Something that I looked forward to every time it happened. At a certain point, Sam Rockwell's character kind of encounters 
like a day job, like thug kind of guy, like uh, was yeah. hired by the bad guys and is like, yeah, I'll do it because I want to get paid because it's a job. And so he like shows more skill than Sam Rockwell, like thinks from just like a hired hand. And when he does, he's like impressed and is like, hey, what's your name? Like, you're really good at this. You really surprised me with that shotgun. <laughs> and the guys, it's just like really casual, like workplace water cooler banter. That's happening because they're in the same industry. It's just not like a white collar job. Yeah. And every time he he shows up, like subsequently, is like really amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even to the point where it's like he's like, "Well, I'm gonna have to kill you later." It's not even that. It's like they totally break down the wall and are like buddies throughout the whole thing. Like he sees him at like the final confrontation. He's like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" He's like, "Gotta pay the bills." <laughs> and it's like. I don't know. It's that part's fun, but Anna Kendrick is like I think she's like actively bad in it. Her character is awful in that movie, yeah. and I think it's it's she's like I mean she's doing her typical like cute perky Anna Kendrick thing in the movie, but when her character goes from like uh, just being so offended by the killing to kind of digging. And being a little turned on by the killing. And it's not even a slow... It's just almost just overnight. Yeah. And it's really... It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. There's a really dumb epilogue in it, too. It's just like, why is this in the movie? It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Tim Roth plays a bad guy, and his accent is, like, noticeable. Like, he's supposed to play, like, some, like, southern FBI agent who's tracking down his old partner, who is mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell's character. But you can hear, like, like Tim Roth's weird accent that he, like, actually has mm-hmm. like behind what he's saying and it doesn't sound southern at all and it's just like what the fuck are you doing in this movie bud does he ever say I suspect foul play <laughs> <laughs> no it's weird man the director is Paco uh, Cabezas or Cabezas I'm not sure how to pronounce that but it's a weird path for him he directed a, a Spanish language horror film called The Appeared in 2010, that got bad reviews. Yeah. A movie called Rage in 2014, which is just like one of those Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah. That came out. <laughs> it got 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's and probably awesome. The next year, he directed Mr. Right, and he hasn't directed anything since except one-off TV shows. I wonder if he's like, if he rose up somewhere else in the industry, the way that you see like... He wrote a lot of like Spanish language okay. movies, but like I haven't heard of any of them. And a lot of them don't have Wikipedia pages. It's fascinating then, that, like, how did he get get attached? Sam Rockwell and Anna Kendrick and like and Max Landis and Tim Roth? It almost feels like he, like he owed like someone owed him a favor. Yeah, and I looked at production. It was like the first bit of news of that movie was like it was released by Variety in 2014 that this guy was going to direct this movie. <laughs> so it wasn't even like I was expecting it to be like they fired. Right, you and know, some guy that I would know, like yeah. Martin McDonough, backed out, and they had to find a director. Yeah, they took someone in like principal photography, and we're like, "You're the director now." Right. I watched a 2007 movie. Uh, <laughs> I know you've heard of this one. I know who killed me. Yeah, starring saw Lindsay that in the Lohan. not in the theater, but on a big screen. <laughs> we saw that at the drive-in one night. Um, <laughs> I was so excited when she said the name of the movie in the uh, kind of the climax. She's staring at a gravestone. And she turns around <laughs> and she says, I know who killed me. And she says to the to camera. The camera? Uh, kind of, because the camera is from the perspective <laughs> of the guy walking up to her. Nice. Um, this movie caused me and David to have an argument after trivia one night. <laughs> like, no. About Lindsay Lohan plays two characters in what movie? And oh, I think yeah, yeah. y'all answered this, but the answer was Freaky Friday. Ah. Uh, 
Um, she does play two characters, or is it one character? Uh, I know the answer, because I've seen the climax of the movie. But um, I think I've seen Lindsay Lohan climax. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, this movie is... is it, so, you've seen it. Have you guys, either of you, seen this movie? No. Um, Mark, this one did not play for people who want to pass this advertise their products. I, this this, <laughs> this, this is a certain type of product. This episode brought to you by Adam and Eve. I was going to say... <laughs> It's not brought to you by Adam and Eve. Or Lisa Mattress? <laughs> Tokyo Valentino. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, even though this... Okay, first, the movie is clearly terrible. It's an awful, yeah, it was awful, awful, awful yeah. movie. Uh, but I kind of admire just the, what it's like. It's it's like sheer boldness. Like, this movie really thinks it's some fucking serious art. Mm. And the, like, the stripper scene, I feel like. Like, when you first see the twin... Right. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe the twin. Maybe the alter identity. We can spoil this movie. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, Incapable of spoiling <laughs> But yeah, she... Uh, I don't know, man. All the transitions are like in blue... There's like a blue motif there was a running dirty, through this like, movie. I remember thinking, like, this movie wants to be traffic. Like, this, real bad. It's it's yeah. like if the most talentless people were also really big fans of David Lynch. And, <laughs> right. uh, um, oh, uh, like, Brian De Palma. There's a lot of that in oh, this yeah. movie. Yeah. And, people think Scarface is like a masterpiece. And a little bit of Saw. Because <laughs> there's, there's some torture in it as well. And, uh, okay. it's... <laughs> don't remember that, but I'm, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> Anyway, it's weirdly watchable in a like a bad movie kind of way. Yeah, like it's it is not a boring bad movie. It's it at is, least an ambitious failure. It is a very ambitious, horrendous failure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't recommend it, but I kind of do. Uh, next movie from two thousand eight. This is the worst movie I saw this week. Yes. It was the remake of Prom Night. Uh, I'm sure Cass has seen it. I haven't seen it. Uh, it, does it also star Jamie Lee Curtis as an old person? No. Also set at prom. It stars Brit- yeah. Brittany Snow. It's that homecoming uh, dance. Okay. Um, Who else? Brittany Snow, by the way, always looked like she was about thirty years old. So she uh, she does she's not believable as a high schooler in this movie. It's got Scott Porter is her boyfriend who played uh, uh, Friday Night Lights. Yeah, yeah. the quarterback uh, in the wheelchair. Quarterback in the wheelchair. Uh, street. That guy's yeah. another shit. Street. So. The worst part of Friday Night Lights is in other stuff. So Street <laughs> Landry is... Landry killing somebody is in this movie. Street is yet another person who so looks way too old that. to be in high school. So uh, Idris Elba is the cop in this movie. Hey. Hey. The good uh, actor who makes bad movies. Yeah. Like only. Yes. Okay. It is It is a real trend with and him. Thor. He makes... I might yeah. have seen this movie. <laughs> It is the most to be a slasher movie. So the slasher in the movie is uh, it's not. There's no mystery to it. It's just uh, this this. Uh, it's the actor who was in uh, that thing you do, Jonathan Sheck. Yeah, I have seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and his movements defy physics in this movie. So like a person, you will see him pass behind someone, and they'll instantly turn around, and he they're they're in a hallway, and he's just gone. He's vanished. It's like, wow, he really moves. No, it's physically impossible for him to have moved that fast in this movie. Um, I think it represents the feeling that someone's behind you, Brent. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's just obsessed with Brittany Snow, and he just wants to love her and be with her. 
And so he kills everyone she's ever met. <laughs> that's his that's his path to her heart. Well, when it's just the two of them left, I mean they've got she a repopulated her girl. Yeah. Uh, but no, he uh he escapes from prison and then the cops find out about this and they they say, Should we go uh get this girl who has been his only target and the only thing in his life that he's ever focused on? And then the other cop says, eh, but do we really want to ruin her prom? <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, it's just about the most inept cops on earth. And, uh, most slasher films are. Yeah. Probably. It's also really boring. It is not interesting That's at the all. fucking, like, I don't understand all these remakes of slasher movies, why they take themselves so fucking seriously. Yeah. Like, that's why the, like, Jamie Lee Curtis, Leslie Nielsen prom night is good, because it's fucking stupid, and it's, like, all disco soundtrack, like, loud the whole time. I feel like after Scream came out, you cannot be, take yourself seriously as a slasher anymore. It's just, like, there's really, no air in those tires anymore. Yeah, one of the best, like, slasher films I've seen in recent years was, like, Happy Death Day was fucking great. Yeah. And it was just so stupid and fun. And, like, a, a proto-Scream that uh, Kelly and I randomly watched in October this past year was a uh, it's called like horror high school or something and it did the same thing where it's like lampooning all these movies that are coming out around it all its peers that are taking slashers so seriously and it's like so clearly over the top that like the slasher genre like needs to be made fun of because it was just like it was exploitative because you wanted to like <clears throat> sell tickets and make teenagers come see your movie you would dangle the promise of a hot lead and a hot lead, like, touching hands and showing breasts. And then, you know, we'd kill people in over-the-top, inventive ways. Yeah. And then, once you get past that, there's nothing in between. And, yeah, those movies were, like, bad. But the ones that were, like, campy on purpose, like, those were good, fun movies. This right. movie has no camp. It's... Let me let me tell you how he kills people. Knife, 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 knife. That's One it. person? Who's the next person to go? <laughs> Everything's like a prison shaking. Some people are killed off screen. With a deadly corset. There's only like five kills in the movie. Is it like you off screen? off screen if it's done cool, but... Is it like off screen where it's like you hear a scream and you see blood splash across like a poster in the high school hall? No, it's just, they find a body? Yeah, it's... Yeah. Well, like yeah. Halloween does that and it works. So it's hard. It's just right. like... You gotta... I mean, I'm sure this movie is fucking garbage. I'm not yeah. trying to defend it, but it's, it's weird. It's just like... Right. You're not getting... Don't... With, Get creative. Yeah, right. You're saying that's, that's what we want to see. We want to see like unbelievable shit. Right. Yeah, that's a technique that can work. Right. Like, <laughs> right. It just really doesn't work. Here. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's uh. There. I mean, there are there are moments when you laugh out loud, but you're mostly laughing at the director and screenwriter. You're not really yeah. laughing at the laughing movie. at them, not with them. Right. I mean, this movie really made me think. If if you're a if you're a aspiring filmmaker out there and you ever doubt yourself. You need to watch this movie because you will then know that you can make it in Hollywood because no matter how bad you are, you're not this bad. As long as it is an existing property. Yes. <laughs> you can you can just do good enough. To Pardon me what very good. Well I open an ice cold Coca Cola. <coughs> I <had a> cough <laughs> over his moment. <laughs> Douche. I thought we were gonna do a running thread of making fun of potential sponsors. And the last movie I watched this week. 2007 movie, 88 Minutes, starring Al Pacino. Never saw that one. Uh, oh, man. This, How long is it? Um, it is 108 minutes. Bummer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the last 20 minutes don't help. Uh, so, Al Pacino is a forensic psychologist. In my head just then, I was like, oh, it makes sense. 100 minutes in an hour. 
<laughs> that, that thought went through my head. <laughs> it's like been a week. Half of the time. <laughs> it's been. <laughs> He's a forensic psychologist, which I don't even know if that's a thing. I guess it is. Forensic psychologist. Yeah, like what are they? Profiler? They, yeah, they build profiles on serial killers. Um, well, it's not really what he does. <laughs> he, <laughs> what does he, he, he do? He's, so, he's, he's actually really into pottery? <laughs> <laughs> he reconstructs crime scenes. Okay. Uh, so he's like Willem Dafoe in that movie that everybody thought was good. Blue Dark Saints? Yeah. He's so good at it that he can just could he can just uh, whatever he thinks happened at the crime scene, a jury will believe. Like Will Graham and uh, Manhunter, or Red yeah. Dragon, or Hannibal, or <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. He uh, sends uh, oh, who's the who's the guy from Band of Brothers, the blonde guy with the eyes, McDonough. Yeah, Neil, Neil McDonough. McDonough. <laughs> it's a good description of him. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the blonde guy with the eyes. <laughs> You C- knew. C company, the yeah. company without eyes. So he's he'll die pretty quick. He plays a killer that allergic to wasps. <laughs> he plays a killer that Al Pacino had put in prison, and uh, Pacino is teaching a class at college on criminology or psychology or who the fuck knows what, and. Uh, Anyway, uh, Pacino gets a call uh, on the day of McDonough's scheduled execution telling him he's got 88 minutes to live. And it's a race against time, but not, it is not a... uh, But not real time. Not real time. It is not real time. They had an obvious shot to do something here. He's so awesome if the entire movie was 88 minutes, like he goes to an Italian restaurant, (laughs) gets the nicest wine, just really like takes care of himself. He just goes, I'm ready. <laughs> um, anyway, it turns out it's uh, this movie has more like fake outs and more like yeah. Like, what's the twist? Just tell us. The there's no twist. The twist oh. is just that it's a that it's just one of the students has worked with this killer in jail to okay. try to frame Al Pacino for similar murders to make it look like he was the real killer all along. Mm. But there's a great moment in the movie where there's a cop who he's worked with before who is investigating this uh, series of new murders. And uh, <laughs> when he, he finds him, he finds him out on the street and he goes, Hey man, just want to let you know, there's a ton of physical evidence that puts you at this crime scene. And he just starts rattling off like evidence against Al Pacino, evidence against Al Pacino. And he's like, also we found your semen in her vagina. This is a dead, dead woman that we found. And uh, he's like, so uh, we need you to come into the station. <laughs> and uh, Al Pacino says, don't you see? It's a classic frame job. <laughs> and, uh, and the guy's like, that sounds absurd. And he's like, it's not absurd. And the cop goes, okay, <laughs> pretty much. And Al Pacino's like, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to sort all this out. And the cop says, okay. <laughs> and so it's just more bad cops. <laughs> He immediately goes, how many people have jacked me off in the past month? <laughs> that was, my first thought was, how did they get his semen? And not, and not how did they falsify that it's, that it's his? I was just like, well, clearly, clearly the guy has come from somewhere. <laughs> clearly it's the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> start digging tissues out of his trash can at, at his, like, office, or office hours. It's coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was thinking frame job is a real weird word for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, everything, everything done in this movie is completely ridiculous. <laughs> including Al Pacino's hair in this movie. Looks like Robert Smith. <laughs> Alright. Fun. Uh, yeah, this movie is awful. Just terrible. 
And there's a reason that it's set unreleased for three years after they filmed it. <laughs> so, don't recommend that. Well, cool. Got anything else? Nope. Just that. Just... It's a good good set. Yeah. Yeah. You nearly broke me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, David, to see if you can uh, put yourself back together again. Uh, you've just got us. No Kingsman. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to keep going. All right. So I only watched uh, one thing this week, but it was a TV show. Uh, aforementioned from last week's 2020 preview, I caught uh, on Hulu High Fidelity. The TV series reboot, reimagining of the 2000 movie, John Cusack, um, as a... Novel, per- right? Nick Hornby? Yeah, yeah. Originally a Nick Hornby novel, and he's an exec producer on it. I've heard good things. What's the... What's yeah, the it's, uh, I really enjoyed it and really recommend it. Cool. Um, what's your top just- five favorite things about this <laughs> <laughs> They're all Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> it just uh, I listened to another podcast talking about this uh, TV show. Um, they they like covered one it. Would exist. Yeah, so like, not the first. <laughs> the recommendation like begins and ends with you basically get to hang out with Zoe Kravitz for ten episodes. And just thinking like I just I was excited to watch it because I think she's cool and I was like and she's a good actress. But I was just thinking like I don't know that I've ever seen her be a good actress in anything. She's in Big Little Lies, but she doesn't really have a lot to do. Yeah, she's, she's almost a, a token character of like a symbol of their consciousness more than she has like actual agency in the show. I feel like you need to watch that show again. If that's <laughs> <laughs> your interpretation of her, um, but I haven't really. I can't remember anything off the top of my head. That she's, she's Fury, right? Yes, she is. She's, she's also like a bitch character. She's yeah. one of the maidens. Yeah, doesn't really speak a lot but she's really good incredibly charismatic in this and like super channels more than i would think john cusack just and you know part of the allure or part of the style of high fidelity is it's very breaking the fourth wall very meta and he's talking to talking to the actual camera and the viewer and she'll have these little looks and asides that are almost like the exact reaction that john cusack did like his facial features and everything. <laughs> it's basically like the... Uh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's the Michael Jackson black or white video. <laughs> Her face God. morphs into John Cusack really quick. It's like somebody does a deep fake of uh, John Cusack <laughs> into the new Ivanelli. Things are creepy. Uh, these are all are horrifying. These are all terrible recommendations for the show, but <laughs> it's uh, it's really enjoyable. So how was... Because I think Cusack carried the movie, so it sounds like she did a good job with that. But how are the... I feel like the two record store employees were very important to the film. Yeah, they they hew pretty closely to the counterparts in the uh, in the movie. Um, there's the I, for, I don't know his name, but there's like the bald, like nerdy snob guy. Quieter. Yeah, he's played by a character that they give a lot more um, a lot more depth to, but he's also filling a similar role. Um, he's actually one of the exes. Oh, cool. Um, one of the top five heartbreaks for the main character, who's called Rob, for Robin, same same name as the John Cusack character. Yeah. Um, but the the person who almost steals the entire show is the person doing the Jack Black character, which you pretty much have to. Right. And it's a uh, Divine Taylor Joy from um, My Name Is Dolomite. Oh, okay. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she was really good in that movie, and she's really great in this movie, and. And they really, you know, hew pretty closely to those types. She is kind of like uh, the manic energy and like uh, sassy 
you know, wants to be a musician kind of thing. But I think the show still carves out its own kind of uh, enjoyment. Maybe I'm coming to it being such a huge fan of the original movie. Um, a lot of the... There's a lot of scenes that kind of get sprinkled out that are from the from the film. Like, uh, have you guys seen the original movie? Yeah. Yes. Like, uh, the two skate punks who steal records and end up being the... Uh, What's their name? Their band name? Kinky Wizards, Kinky. I think. <laughs> they're the Kinky Wizards, and they're like, these guys are actually good. There's a episode in a runner that kind of has, you know, kids stealing records, and they are actually a decent band. Um, so there, there are kind of, like, things sprinkled in that if you know the movie really well, they're, they kind of hit those beats. But the overarching uh, kind of romantic... Um, tragic story, not really tragic, but you know, it's a, it's a romantic story in it is original and it's uh, pretty good. I'm glad they did something is that, like new. Sounds like is that Jake Lacey? Is that where he comes in? Yeah, that's part of it. Okay, because yeah. I saw he was in the cast. How is he in the show? Is he good? Yeah, he's he's really good. I like him a lot. He's I liked him in the office and I liked him in uh, Obvious Child. Yeah. He's kind of uh, doing that again. <laughs> yep, just being Jake Lacey. Yeah, he's he's got a is that, you know is that new gym. Yes, yeah, okay. new gym. He he's got the uh, he's, he plays a couple dramatic scenes pretty well, but he's just pretty enjoyable guy to be around. He's really awful in Rampage, <laughs> <laughs> a movie I saw this week that I won't talk about anymore. Well, not check it out. <laughs> and uh, the other thing is, um, for a music for a show like this to land the music's gotta be really good it's exact like the music executive production is Questlove and it's got great good eclectic uh, yeah eclectic music supervision that I'm sure will win an Emmy for or it might win an Emmy for music supervision great cuts from R&B to rap to um, the rest of it yeah the rest <laughs> of it Be- there's the beta band Dry the Rain song it's also in this and you know a bunch of you know nerdy white rock it's, it's in there, too. And they do great top fives. Um, super enjoyable, though, and one of the best parts is the episodes are 30 minutes long. Love it. I love that in a show now. Hell, yeah. It's so, like, hard to find. <laughs> yeah. I also like that, like, I can sit down on a Sunday, and if I want to binge an entire season of a show, I can. It's very it's doable. done. Yeah. 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 And it's not like, well, I need 22 hours to get through a season of The Americans. Like, yeah, I mean, guys, it sounds like it's... Not that much longer than half a day, really. Like, it's probably, yeah, you know, four and a half hours or whatever. Yep. This is all the little touches are done really well. Just even just the a credit scene will roll, and it'll be like at the end of a scene, and the scene will keep playing of characters hanging out, talking about stuff. And that's really the allure of the, of the movie and the TV show is, you know, getting to spend time with these characters that have interesting conversations and interesting stuff going. It's uh, on Hulu, you said? On Hulu, yeah. Cool. Recommend it. Sweet. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, besides that, just listening to a lot of the No Cap podcast. Let's put that in the show notes. All right. We haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, and I am also doing that. Um, so, I almost said explain to the listeners. <laughs> As if that's like a thing that we need to do. Like, we're not, I mean, I guess we would be doing it for Brent. I'm a TJ, listener but, at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, no one can know about this is the name of the podcast where two comedy writer friends play every single Final Fantasy. So a uh, more niche podcast I could not find that, was, <laughs> that is basically made for me and us. Yeah. 
Yeah, I started listening to it. It's it's a really fun podcast. Um, the gaming element of it is so minor. Like, if you ever find yourself, you know, like you're teetering on the edge of abandoning a long time, like wildly critically acclaimed podcast because it's starting to get bad and just want something to fill that time. <clears throat> uh, not to you know talk shit about you know the podcast Godfather uh, siblings. Uh, but you know, this is something that you could really listen to without knowing anything about Final Fantasy. Yeah, the the best thing it get it captures is the vibe. Like even if you don't know the specifics, it, it's pretty satisfying if you do. You, know, you get more enjoyment out of it. But it really captures the vibe of friends staying up late and getting giddy because they're up too late, playing video games and just talking about shit. Yeah, fun. Uh, it's a lot of fun. There's in the they don't play them in numerical order they play them in sequential order they were released in the US so they play Final Fantasy 1 then they play Final Fantasy 3 which was 6 in Japan oh sorry <clears throat> Final Fantasy 2 which was 4 in Japan and then they play 3 which was 6 in Japan so they play 1 they skip 2 and 3 and then they skip 5 and then they go after 6 they go to 7 and seven is named the same as it is in Japan. Either way. So they do like, it's big leaps and bounds. They go from playing the NES to playing the SNES early in the lifespan, to playing the SNES at the very end of its lifespan, to playing like the PlayStation. So like each season, it's like a huge leap in like expectations and graphical quality and like gameplay, interactivity and stuff. Um, but it's really fun because after like slogging through those early games, Finally, for Final Fantasy VII, they decide that they are going to get away from the modern world because it is consuming too much of their time that they need to devote to playing Final Fantasy, and they go to uh, a cabin in Lake Tahoe, and they stay there for a week in thinking that it's as long as the previous game, and that they'll beat it in the week, and then like they'll be done, and it won't interfere with life or whatever, and it's just really funny to see how horribly wrong that goes. When they start making themselves promises like, we're going to finish this tonight. You know, we're going to be fine. And then they spend four hours making Sloppy Joes. <laughs> and not playing the game at all. Um, and yeah. then they realize that like, oh, breeding chocobos in that game takes like 20 hours of gameplay. Like it is a tedious task they only put in there for like super fans. It's really a slice of life too. Because they, they do capture eating meals, going to McDonald's. And having conversations about fast food, they go to the grocery store and record it. The, I mean, the first episode of the Final Fantasy VII series, they don't actually even play the game, but it's still uh, rewarding. Yeah, just because it's you know it's just interesting, and it's a cool thought to rent a cabin just to play a video game with a friend for a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've I mean, never done anything close to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more about the two of them and their relationship is really fun. Because, like, they play off each other a lot. They obviously have, like, very similar tastes and, like, pop culture stuff. They go on this, this like, long tirade about the grandfather character from the reality show Gold Rush. And, like, one of them, they, like... So, because they record it in the, in the past and then they do a voiceover as they're editing it to kind of clarify some things that may not be clear. Um, they, like... In the car, they start talking about Gold Rush. And then one of them is like, hey, you do such a good impression of the grandfather. And then he does the impression... And then it cuts back to the past, and they start talking about Gold Rush more. And he's like, will you do that great impression of the grandfather? <laughs> it's just really wholesome to see their friendship kind of 
uh, like laid bare in fun. this like weird format. Yeah. The two timelines are pretty fun of the what they're doing and their commentary because they'll be in the middle of a conversation like four a.m. and they're like, "Man, this is so deep," and the the com- commentary will be like, "That was so irritating to listen to." <laughs> yeah, I hated hearing myself talk about that. Or like they'll be like talking about some like random thing, some pop culture reference. Uh, or like one of them is really into like the Russian space program during the space race because he thinks it was just like there a lot of like ingenuity and just you know great scientific minds at work. And at some point they're talking about like the space program, and he's just just calls out. He's like, "Hey, future Jeff, will you look this up and clarify to people who are listening about what I'm talking about in case they get any of these details wrong?" And the edit cuts and he goes, "I'm not gonna make you guys sit through <laughs> me explaining all of this." I questioning why I left this part in anyway. <laughs> nice. But it's a lot of fun. Sweet. Really entertaining. Great recommendation. Thank you. And friend of the friend of the show, Brian, said that he's going to start listening. He said yesterday he was going to start listening to it today. Right. So knowing how he consumes things, he's probably caught up to both of us. <laughs> yeah. But Cool. TJ. I watched the movie. Yeah, I think I watched it too. You did. I watched uh, Horse Girl. Yeah. The uh, Netflix original Horse. Uh directed by Jeff Baina. Featuring centaurs. <laughs> uh, me and Chris watched another Jeff Baina movie together, oddly. Uh, he directed The Little Hours. Oh. Oh, I've seen that. Is it The Nuns? Yeah. yeah. Aubrey Plaza movie? Um, he did Life After Beth, too, and he co-wrote I Heart Huggabees. I guess that's his like, big claim to fame. Uh, I've seen all of his movies, then. <laughs> uh, no, he also did a movie called Joshy. <laughs> Have you seen Joshy? <laughs> Uh, Starring Thomas Middleditch as Joshy. <laughs> <laughs> no, this uh, sounds like a guy who gets like funny people to be in his movies because he's friends with them, and then they make a movie. Yeah, he's like, also been uh, okay. like a domestic partner, I guess. Uh, so of Aubrey Plaza since like 2011. Oh, okay. Um, but Horse Girl, starring uh, Allison Brie, uh, fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really weird movie. Yeah, it is. It's a Duplass production. I guess. Yeah. So if anybody does anything about the brothers and their production companies. Sure. It was on the weird scale for them, though. I thought. Yeah. It is a super strange movie. So, like, the, the basic rundown of the plot came out, like, I think two weeks ago, maybe three yeah. weeks ago, uh, on Netflix. Um, it is a person, a young woman who is kind of a loner in the world. Uh, and like her small relationships that she has with people because she doesn't let people in because she has an embarrassing, I don't really know why she does. She's got a mental health problem. Yeah. She has a mental health problem. That that is, that is the whole point of the movie. You don't know exactly what it is. You don't know its severity. That's kind of what you're getting from the film. It's like, is she like paranoid schizophrenic? Uh, you don't know what's real. Yeah, but the it's a, a super. I don't want to talk shit, complete shit about it because it's a super committed performance. I thought from Allison Brie. Yeah, I thought she was really good, and uh, I thought Molly Shannon was actually really good in yeah. her little supporting role. Yeah. Um. But uh, has anybody ever seen a uh, Safety Not Guaranteed? Yeah. Yes. Have you seen that the time travel movie with Aubrey Plaza? I think the so. Duplass production. I think so. So anyway, I feel like the twist in that movie worked because you didn't know. I don't know. This movie, I, I never had any doubt that she was a paranoid schizophrenic. That this is all bullshit. Yeah, for sure. Like, it doesn't give you reason to believe the other side. Right. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Where safety not guaranteed kind of... Does at the end, anyway. Yeah. There are people that aren't crazy seeing the thing happen. And, it's and also, they react to people it. People want the other thing to be real. Because it's right. 
And I, I guess with that movie, you could take like an Emma Stone Birdman point of view and like they're reacting to something else happening. Right. Maybe. But in this movie, that, that never gave you the chance. Yeah, no. I mean, because when, when characters start to really notice that there is like something objectively wrong with her behavior and what she's doing, like most of what she does is like quiet or like she like sleepwalks and then denies it in like a really kind of overly defensive way. But when people start to like, when, when she starts to become comfortable in exerting the things that she believes they're a little like sideways, they're the stereotypical things that you would think a paranoid schizophrenic would rant and rave about. Yeah. It's like she's in her apartment blocking out the windows, like putting tinfoil on her head and screaming about conspiracies and that like people are listening in on her conversations. And there's no hint that like somebody actually is listening in on her conversation. There's no like guy that she kind of sees like out of the corner of her eye because she like kind of confronts that early on and then becomes like places herself in that person's life in a way that's like completely untenable from like a, a, a lens that has no filter on it in showing that like this does she's on her own in these beliefs. Like and you as the audience member are supposed to look at this and I think feel helpless. I mean I did. It was it was horrifying at times. Right. It's like, um, what do you there's, I mean, there's a scene where she's like talking to somebody and she's trying to call somebody else and she can hear in the phone what the person is saying before they say it. And then she just says out loud, like, I can hear the future. Yeah. And like, I don't know. That was a terrifying scene. Yeah. Cause like, I've had crazy people say that kind of shit to me before. It was just like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't, and that's terrifying. You're you know? also, you're also taking someone who is like reserved and intelligent and maybe like a, a little like emotionally retarded in the way that she behaves, but other than that, like, and I know that this is going to come with like a lot, a lot of baggage by saying like she appears normal, right? Um, but like that's I think the point of it is they're trying to show this person who presents as someone without a mental illness. So then when these things start happening to her, like you can't do the reach through the screen and say like, like I need to help you, you need help, because like if that happens to someone close to you. Like you, you aren't like you're not equipped with the tools to do that for someone else. Yeah, I mean that was like the message I took or the theme from that was like the roommate should have called the police and had her committed long before it got out of control. Yeah. Um, but I gave the movie three stars, I think, on Letterboxd. Yeah. Um, great, great performances. I thought that like and just a little lost at times. I feel like in the screenplay. Yeah, it did feel directionless. Um, does it feel like from listening to it? Does it feel like it was just like missing scenes? To kind of connect it, I, I think it, I think it was it, it probably was a little um, kind of flamboyant in the way that it kind of when she starts going through the breakdown, like the really public palpable breakdown. There's a little too much enjoyment in it in the way that like that's probably the back fifty percent of the movie is watching her like. Completely breakdown, breakdown, yeah. and so a little overplayed, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I did get the vibe though that they wanted me to believe that there was a chance that like there was some crazy satellite shit going on and aliens were a thing. Maybe. Did, you, did you not get that vibe? I mean, but I, I don't feel like it earned it. That's my point. Okay. Yeah, is that I feel like they were trying to get me to be like maybe she's not crazy, but I never was close to that. Yeah. So I thought like they were wasting time trying to convince me of that at right time, at, at moments. And then I think that in the same breath, if they're wasting time trying to convince you of that, then they're definitely wasting time showing her, uh, you know, taking that whole bolt of cloth and wrapping her apartment in it. Because, like, at that point, like, we kind of know. Right. And that's, like, 
there's still like 30 minutes of her doing, I don't want to keep saying crazy, but like crazy stuff. Yeah, I, I think the movie had like a, it was on like a 3% grade, and then it fucking jumped way up, and then it continued the same grade. So it was just like a, ah, moment, and yeah. then it was kind of a slow build again yeah. to, to the climax, which is the last, you know, one minute of the film. Yeah, and so so to your question, I think the point of it is, or 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 the, the problem that I had with it was that I think it was too much concerned with her being so over the top that it felt obvious that, you know, the people around her are abandoning her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what it should have focused more on is I loved her relationship with the guy that showed her attention at the at her apartment. Yeah. I thought that their back and forth was really neat. The way that, like, they have a social interaction that goes well, which is, like, surprising for her. And then they meet again, and it goes well. And so she kind of starts testing the water, and she's like... Sometimes don't you start thinking about like this? And he's like, yeah, like UFOs, like it's crazy. And like, so they start to bond over it and she starts to kind of slowly come out to him. But she's the only person that she kind of slowly kind of reveals the thoughts that are in her head that kind of, she kind of has the awareness are off kilter, but thinks that she has an ally and can tell him about it. And it, but it just takes the next step, like a step too far. Yeah. But he's the only one it happens with. And so you just kind of like, all right. You know, and then it's juxtaposed with like her having a complete break with reality, where like it is completely untenable that he could be sympathetic to her to begin with. Right. Like she goes to her parents' grave and starts like digging with her hands because she needs to like check if her like mother's still there or trying to get DNA. Yeah, irrelevant. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, (coughs) it's something I would recommend if that kind of like reality breaking movie is your jam. Yeah, but other than that, it might not make a watch list for me. I don't know. It's a bizarre movie. Yeah, if you really like Aubrey Plaza, not Aubrey Allison Plaza, Brie. Allison Brie, and she's you, great, and you want to watch her kind of really like go for it, like she definitely does. Um, it's not a bad movie. It's just like it's kind of a, a miss. Yeah, from the description, it doesn't sound like this is a rodeo film of, in any way. No. There's a part of that which may be like the catalyst for her is like her best. She used to ride horses, and her best friend had like a, an accident, mm. and her best friend is like severely brain damaged, um, and she goes and visits her a couple times. Kind of like the rider, <laughs> yeah, a little bit better. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know if it's better than the rider. Probably not. I like it better than the rider. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyone watch anything else they want to talk about? Not I. Well, we shouldn't all just shake our heads no, I guess. <laughs> I watched a show that I want yeah. to talk about. It's called, I think it's pronounced Servior. Servior? It's French. <laughs> yeah. but uh, Not as much to talk about this week, but I mean, there was a two-hour episode in the intro. Yeah. It's a week where, man, I, I was I talked to Brent a little bit. We, we usually do on like Thursday afternoons, I guess, just a 30-minute recap with each other, but... I felt like with this one, it was like, Danny made a mistake, and everybody just fucking pounced on her. They were like, oh, okay, you gotta go. It was such an easy decision. Like, this person walked up to someone who was not in her alliance, made them aware of an alliance that didn't ex- that like, that does exist, and is, like, actively pursuing a goal, and, like, outed herself as, as not only as someone working in an alliance that the new school players can get rid of and chip away at the old school lines, but also the old school lines can be like, okay, let's get rid of someone who's completely untrustworthy. 
I think, or what I told Brent was, I think even Ben was like, okay, I can't, like, either A, you don't have the, like, social awareness to know that Ben's not part of the alliance, so I can't work with you in the future, or B, you don't see that this is a huge deal. Like, either right. way, I can't even work with you. Yeah, either anymore. way, that's a problem for my game, even if, like, my game with you is going to be, like, way, way, way in the future. And that's Ben, who's, like, maybe not the best player out there. Like, maybe the, socially, one of the worst players out there, socially, yeah. strategy-wise. And, uh, I mean, they're trying to remove chaos, I feel like, at this point. Did anybody else get that vibe? Like, the good players are like, we need to remove people from the game who are, like, wild cards. That's why I thought they might have been going towards Ben there. Yeah, I think final instead of been short lived on on the season. I would yeah, guess. and especially when when Rob, uh, as an aside, said he's a wild card when he talks about that that was said right in front of him. Then and he there's all kinds of things throughout the entire episode. It's like you know what's 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 going on with this guy and that it, that pretty like anti Ben tribal edit uh, mm-hmm. that, that yeah. shows like he he makes a point <clears throat> he makes a point that they. Everyone should make it every tribal council. They're like, these people were talking to these people, these people were talking to these people. And then everyone seems like aghast that someone would accuse them of having conversations. They're like, well, didn't people have conversations with you? It's like, why is everyone acting? And poverty is like, you know, what's your point? Yeah. It's like, Jeff asked him a question. <laughs> Jeff asked him <laughs> and a he's question. telling the truth. He made an observation, and like, that's what every tribal is. Like, I don't understand why it's now like exemplary, except that. Parvati and Rob are trying to make Ben look like a fool, and if so, good job. There is... It, it worked. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, there is no reason... Uh, Rob should have every reason to keep Ben around, because Ben is just unfiltered information, a line of it directly to Rob's brain. Yeah, he should keep him around for a little while. He needs to worry at some point. I mean, they all watch Ben's season where he pretty much won by himself. You know, plus Rob already owns Ben's soul from the first episode, (laughs) right? So um, he's his vampire familiar now. (laughs) I think this could have gone differently if there were two. There were two other. There were two things that led to it being Nanny, which is one. I think we're seeing. Well, first off, there are no goats this season. There's just no. There are not Not going to happen. Not no bad players, but there are people who they showed up on that first day, looked around, and they're like, "This person feels like a final three person." And Danny's, I think, on that list. Danny, Amber, mm. um, not so much Natalie, but uh, Michelle would also fit that list of just people who, once you get to a certain point in the game, no one's going to be targeting. Right. So if you are a target and like 60, 70% of this cast are targets, right. get those people out early. So I think Danny, yeah. getting Danny out, who's hard to read, she is, uh, or at least she desperate. was she was hard to read in her first season. This is her. She's had one bad episode of Survivor ever, and it was this week. Yeah. And um, I think getting her out now is probably a good move for all the big targets, and also for people... You had a chance... You had a chance with a minority alliance to um, to really f- turn that alliance against itself. The other five people could have just taken out Rob, for example. That's something that they should have at least considered. Yeah. And then you have Parvati... And Danny voting against each other, sort of in isolation. And then if Rob's going, you can pull in Ethan, and then you can take your pick from Parvati or Danny, probably Parvati, who's going to have nowhere to turn. But the reason they didn't is because they are probably three or six days away from a tribe swap of some sort, and you just want to have more. If you're Adam or you're 
and Owl is making this point to me, and I think it's a very good point. Is if you're Adam, you are you want Rob. If you wind up in a four to three minority after right. a swap, you want to be with Rob because Rob's going to be the one that the four take out. Right, right. Not you. Well, you you also want to. I and think Parvati is uh, someone like that. Right. Or Rob's got the best chances of swinging some other vote. Yeah. You know it, what I mean? It's also super advantageous to to, to vote for someone like Danny. When I, I think it was a unanimous vote against yeah, Danny, it was. Uh, <clears throat> where just crazy, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just where if you are that close to a tribe swap, what you want during a tribe swap or then after the tribe swap at the merge is you want to have the like the the smallest amount of bad blood as possible. Yes, with your original tribe, that too, because right. that plays a huge factor in the politics of like post swap or post merge, right? Because you don't want to vote out Parvati and then be in a majority with Rob and Ethan and and Danny. Right. And Where they're like, this is the first person out of our core group. So like they'll whittle down this, the minority alliance, but then you're the first to go out of their bigger chunk. Yeah. Or they may just go ahead and take the chance with these people who are in the minority and right. say, we're going to throw you a line and take out Adam or Denise yeah. or whoever. So I think it, is, I think it was a good decision. It's the kind of meltdown that would have probably been more beneficial to people had it come later in the game. But, um, yeah. Danny was somebody I kind of worried about from the start, like being a, a sneaky dark horse to win the season. And just because she's she's somebody that nobody was really would be targeting. Right. And she, so nobody was targeting. She's, just, she's the first player who the uh, size and scope of this season really got to. Yeah, I mean, it seems like... I like the argument that if if there is someone that a strong player thinks is a limp in for number three, then that is actively hurting your game because you don't want someone to have to choose between one good one person who's going to beat them, another person who might beat them, and then someone who they're obviously going to make not make fire. You want them to have to choose between three people who are all threats to them. Yeah, because especially if you yourself are going to be an easy choice for a vote out at some point, you want to remove all easy choices from the game. Yeah. So, I mean, Rob versus Danny, everybody's taking Danny. But Rob versus Jeremy, or Rob versus Tyson, or Yule, those are not easy choices at the end of this game. So, I think the big thing that I took from it, and you touched on some, is we talked about it some last season too. You don't, the problem with having a goat there is that you're not sitting there. You're taking a chair away from the final three. Right. And in this season, I mean, any, you know, if it's like Rob, Poverty, and Sandra, the final three, I mean, they've all got a shot to sway the jury. Yeah. So you don't want to have that filled up by Michelle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You want to get them out now. Yeah. When it's easy pickings, kind of. Um, the one other. A, to give you a shot at the end. Yeah. The one other thing on the other job that I do want to focus on is that uh, in his. Uh, in his attempt to not be any kind of threat or target this season, Tony is instead taking the tact of, maybe I'll just try to kill myself every three days. <laughs> Can we talk about how, I mean, I, this felt so intentional that the episode started with Yule making a device to pull the breadfruit down from the trees, and then like we get like drama at the other tribe, and then we come back, and Tony's built like the most rickety, foot ladder. rickety fucking ladder. And then when it starts to break, he's like, it's designed to do that. Like a sense of humor about like his impending doom. Like he jumped like four rungs up and then jumped on it. 
Like, yeah. is it good? Like, why does it need to like, be good? Testing <laughs> it out now. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, talk to Yule. He's made this cool, like, hoop and stick thing there. where he can just go, like, zoop and, like, like rip it out of a tree. I've like, never really, really gotten to see Rob, Sandra, or Poverty Place, so, like, I would be upset if they went home next week. Yeah. But I'm, the top of my list of, like, person I need on this show for more TV is Tony. Yeah. It's just, like, comedy gold, man. Uh, the, the next week on bit at the end, did everybody catch yeah. that? What was it? The... Tyson catches a like a three foot shark, <laughs> and like the neck, and, like the look on Tyson's face is like, why is Tony screaming running down the beach with the shark I just caught? <laughs> Tony's just like, ah! grabs like, by the tail and is like swinging it around like a lasso. It's like, oh my god, Tony is fucking insane, and I love every minute of it. I, I love the camp that Tony's with too because it's like it is such a good mix with like Wendell and Yule on one side being kind of like these like sardonic or even just like. They, like they are, they're trying to refuse to react to his shenanigans, and then you've got people like uh, like Sophia who are watching it, being like, "You're fucking crazy, dude." Yeah, like, I mean, it's a it, lot of fun. It's interesting though. Like, I, I know y'all don't, yeah, y'all don't listen as much as I do, and I don't listen as much as Brent does. But like people talking about that I played with Tony, like actually really love Tony. Yeah, like people really like being around him. He's apparently like a great. He's that guy who you're like, I'm glad he's on fucking our team, but if he's on the other team, you'd hate him. Yeah. Yeah, also, like, this is something I just recently found out, is that, uh, so, you know, before a season starts, they'll have interviews with people, uh, you know, different publications will go out to Fiji and sit down and talk to all the survivors, and apparently, when, uh, when Game Changers was starting, uh, Tony waved by to whatever reporter, because some reporter said, we're really looking forward to what, you're so entertaining, Yeah. And he yelled by, in front of the whole cast, and he's returning to the cast, he's like, don't worry, I'm going to fuck shit up for you. Like, <laughs> for you, the fans. So, like, when you announce that in front of the cast, of course you're going to be, like, the second person voted off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so his goal this season is, like, he's, he also, just on that tell, season, ran off in the like, yeah. first episode. It was he, like, he spread off into the woods, like, where you going? He's like, go to find idols! Yeah, he, he yells, he yells, go to for idols! And just it's runs just off like in the immediately. jungle. immediately. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's beautiful. He even says he's like, "Looks like you guys got this." Okay, I'm gonna go. Like they're building this shelter, but uh, he uh, he he clearly is so try. He's just trying to just keep a cork in that like part of his game that he just him. wants yeah. to. He wants to just go run around and be crazy. Yeah. So instead. He has to be crazy in an entertaining and non-threatening like wrestle, way. Wrestle sharks it's and climb thirty foot, spilling out in these bizarre <laughs> yeah. cry for help ways. It's amazing. So I'm I'm loving Tony this season. It is getting to the point where I'm going to be sad to see whoever go go. Yeah, yeah. Like I love the cast. They're so, so enjoyable. Yeah, they're just. I mean, there's, back, there's back no then. there's no chaff of people who are just unpleasant to be around. There's because you can't win and be unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. There's no one on the show where like they do something and I go, wait, who's that person again? Uh, that's the my favorite thing still. Is yeah. knowing like eighty percent of the names already. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I hate to pick on her. She's not great TV. She's a she's a fine winner for her season. Officer Sarah. No, but uh, well, but Michelle. Once Michelle's gone, I'll feel like everybody is providing a lot of entertainment for me. Yeah. At that point, because um, I can see Sarah go to that. I'm, I'm ready for Sarah to go for different reasons. Just, just yeah, tired of her shtick. I kind of am. I I just could see Sarah also winning. Yep. Like that that she has positioned herself behind two huge meat shields is like. So my preseason pick was Jeremy, and your preseason 
preseason pick was Tyson, Tyson. Neither one of which is looking great right now. But man, Wendell, who we all love, and is probably my favorite winder, and was Chris's preseason pick, right? Sophia was mine. Sophia. Did you have one? Yule. Yule. Yeah. Oh, God. Kinda, I yeah. love Yule. Yeah. That's so good. But That's Wendell's in a great really spot. Well. And Wendell's my favorite winner, just in a, like, I want to hang out with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the most. Although, if I had to pick, like, which. Pick a winner, meaning like that would point me in the most pure entertainment. I think it's I think it's maybe Sandra. Sandra would be so great if Sandra won a third time. Oh my god, four the million season, dollars! The season would be you know the season would be fucking incredible if what? you told me it ended with a Sandra win. Did she just scream for like five minutes straight in Rob's face just because he didn't say he was going to go there's, while he was on the island? There's some talk now that that is all like a ruse. Oh, could be. Yeah. But that Robin Sander like had a little, we have to look like we're fighting against each other. Yeah, because people are going to assume that there's an actual alliance. <laughs> I don't think so either, but if anybody would do that, it would be them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> How much did Holtower win on his run on Jeopardy? Because he's the, the winningest dollar amount. Uh, no, it's still Brad Rudder, I think. What is, How much does how much Brad Rudder won? Jennings beat him now due to the due due to that thing. thing. Someone tell so. me who's won the most on Jeopardy. Or what the I number think. is. You want the most for Jeopardy or most in game show ever? I, I want the most for Jeopardy because I want to know if Sandra wins and she's sitting at $4 million, does she become the winningest television game show winner? I don't think so. I think I think Rudder was already over four. Okay. And Jennings hit uh, four, I want to say, with the new thing. But um, but how much was she paid last year for being an idol? Oh. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you can't really... Winnings. Yeah, because yeah, then you'd have to count, like, Jennings doing, like, his weird shit on other game shows. But did um, she win being an idol? <laughs> um, Jennings won four and a half million dollars on, just from Jeopardy so far. Okay. Half a million on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, 100000 on Grand Slam, 100000 on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and $714 on One Verse 100. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Brad has one more money on Jeopardy. Oh, okay. Okay. He's over five million. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So uh, she, so she would be top five, maybe. At four million, I mean, yeah, she'd be, she'd be in that list on Wikipedia. I just looked at that was in the top ten. Yeah. That, anyway. that, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's her job. She just, yeah. Sit. I mean, she doesn't do anything else. She, I've heard her in interviews. She just. Why said, would she? Survivor calls me once every two or three years. And I go and I win a million dollars, and that's my contribution <laughs> to my family's income for yeah. the next few years. So good, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, on this list already is she's not on this list. I don't think they consider it a game show, right? Right. But she would be number five all time already. already. Okay, with, with, two, with million. two million. She uh, somebody asked her what her favorite thing about playing Survivor is, and she said winning. That's literally it. She said, I don't really enjoy the rest of it. I just like getting to the end and getting my paycheck. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, she, she clearly hates being stuck on the island. Like, she she does not. Like, people, were, when they were walking around, they were like, it feels like everyone's contributing to camp. It just doesn't show Sandra just, like, sitting in a chair, just watching people, like, buzz around like bees. And, like, of course, Sandra's not doing anything. She says she... Uh, she's full of shit if she says she doesn't fucking love Survivor. Yeah, she, she loves me and I loves the game. She would not show up for Island of the Idols if she didn't. She does pretty much all the extra stuff, too. All uh, the press. And whenever somebody and wins Survivor, the, like one of the first phone calls they get is from Sandra, welcoming them to the Champion Club. Two quick things I learned this week that I just want to mention before we cut the Survivor talk off. The uh, One is something Brent told me, which was uh, Wendell's prep for this season was uh, going to Dom. 
and like talking to him about it. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love Wendell and Dom. I just love that season mm-hmm. so yeah. much. Uh, the other was, did anybody else catch when Parvati, when Rob told Parvati that he got a token and he was pretty sure Amber was gone? Yeah. He was uh, like, she was like, well, you got two tokens. Like at the end of that conversation, she was like, yeah, we'll have tarps in no time. Like, yeah, none of these people are buying any of that shit. <laughs> yeah. They'll all not eat for 40 days. They don't care. Yeah. Nobody's buying a fucking hammock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just love that. I can see it in his face. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a $2 million hammock. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's buying a fucking hammock. They don't care about pillows out there. I wonder where, when they're going to increase... They have to, at some point, increase the cost of these things, right? I don't know. Because one fire token for one immunity idol seems like so cheap at this point when everyone started off with one. You'd think, like, eventually the mechanic would be they would have to pull tokens together because, to get well, an idol. Also, like, the tokens stay in the live game. They never leave. You know what I mean? So eventually, like, everybody has to have two or spent them. You know what I mean? It, it makes me wonder if there's more, if there are going to be more tokens than there are, I mean, more tokens than there are people who were originally in the game, uh, just to, A, make the, like, the the purchases for uh, non-Extinction Island or Exile Island, whatever it's called, to make those more enticing, if they're like, fuck, we're like swimming in like fire tokens now, like let's buy some peanut butter or whatever. Or if uh, they are going to like start removing tokens from the game permanently. One thing I considered that might be a little bit of foreshadowing is the they might start charging you for half an idol. Could be. But like, Only because this idol, the idols they found were split. I was like, oh, that could make sense. Then it's like, one token is half an idol. You got to convince somebody else, or maybe you just buy it blind and you have to figure out something else. I don't know. It's it a, re- a thought I had. It's a really weird strategy for Nat, where she has to, being the first person out there, sell something to someone who would buy it. Mm-hmm. And when they buy it, she knows now that they have no fire tokens because she was the first person to do it. And then when the second person comes out there and it's Amber, she knows she, that Amber gave hers to Rob. So Nat finds the second thing. So like, why doesn't she give that to Rob? The next advantage that she finds, because the more tokens she gets, the better her odds are at getting back in whenever they do the Extinction Island stuff coming back in. It's, it's unclear to me. So selling the like, giving the immunity idol away, so the person on the Extinction Island or whatever gets that token. Correct. Yes. Oh. Because then so they lose two now. Yeah. So. So she... She's got that other... So, like, she could save up for three, right, and buy an immunity idol to carry with her to the challenge that would let her back in the game. So then she might could get back in the game with an active immunity idol right. in the pocket. But you, but you I can't, guess that's the goal, kind of. Yeah, eventually yeah. you're going to need to sell it to people who you know have money. Right. So, like, right now, like, the next person who goes out there, if they, or the next person who finds an advantage... They should like really think about selling Rob an advantage because they know for a fact that that Rob has two fire tokens. Yeah, and I'm not super clear yet on what happens if they pick somebody who a doesn't have money or b refuses. I'm not. I, we haven't been explicitly yeah. told like like then it's gone. Is it gone or do they get it? I think it should be. That would make yeah, it way more it fun. Back almost seems right. too easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I think it's it's a really wise choice to pick Sandra if you're Nat. Because, I thought it was a great choice. Yeah, because yeah. it's like I'm currying favor with somebody who is a strong also, player Sandra, in this game. 100% will buy it. If there is some rule that we have missed out on about 
it goes away once the offer's made. Yeah, but if I'm Sandra now and I'm sitting there with no fire tokens and someone tries to sell me something, can I go over to Sarah Lucina and be like, hey, Sarah, like, do you want to buy this together? Or <laughs> because she offered it to Sandra, can only Sandra buy it with only her fire tokens? I, don't, I just said they can't be stolen. I think they can be they shared. They can be pulled. Yeah. And they can be given. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you're going think... to tribal and you're like, I know I'm going to be voted out, take my fire token. Like, now, as, like, a, I know they can do after they're voted out, but as, like, a, trust me, take this. Yeah. Like, vote with me, I've got a game. Probably. Like, Probably. Um, not many rules in Survivor like that, that they can't, you right. know what I mean? I will it, say, though, It's also brand new, so. Were, right. were you saying that you thought Natalie should have sold to Rob? Yeah. But she also knew Jeremy had too, though. But she didn't sell to Jeremy. She sold her second thing to Jeremy. To Sandra, I thought. Uh, first one, she had to sell to somebody who had just lost. Right. So she, they told her who lost. Okay. And Rob was on the winning trap. Okay, so then she did basically get her own token back from Jeremy. Yeah, so she was She would have given the idol to Jeremy. Right. Okay, good. Okay, that's... That's yeah, what right. I was... That's, yes. I would assume. But, yes. but that is still what I'm thinking about. Like, yes. if Nat wins again... She should... She should not try and sell it to Jeremy again. Even though she knows he probably does still have his original token... Right. Why wouldn't you... Like, with Amber there. With Amber there, and you know that Amber gave it to Rob. Why wouldn't Maybe you... Maybe if you're closer to the threshold for coming back. Like, the price for coming back. I guess back. the other downside of that is if, like, if Amber wins the next Extinction Challenge, she's going to definitely try to sell to Rob. Do you want to overload Rob? In the game, or or bankrupt him, like well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but I mean, bankrupt. I think is the challenges are always worth fire tokens. Otherwise, sure. there's no reason to have them. Right. The advantages, I mean, yeah, the challenges. I don't know. It's a it's a Did fun you, mechanic so far. I'm I'm real interested to see mm-hmm. if Edge of Extinction doesn't blow this time like it did last time. Yeah, it definitely last time. Yeah. I'm wondering, could you have multiple idols that expire at the same time? Like, in it theory, must be used in the next three. I mean, generally they have the same idols on both sides, so I guess if there was a... I don't know what they would do, Brent. Is it like, what if you found one in one tribe, then there was a drop your buffs tribe swap, then you went to the other one and found the same one, and they were both like... And then someone sold you a fresh one. one. I guess... Well, they're yours. Yeah. Yeah. Sell it or use one like idle your way to week seven. (laughs) You got like six idols, and you're just like, it doesn't matter how I play at this point. I'm everybody. I'm really looking forward to Jeremy uh, at some tr- crazy travel in the next few weeks. Just getting up and just being like, uh, "Peace out, you guys." That's a settle great, this. I can't audience. believe we haven't seen that yet. It's a great, yeah. like safe, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a cool idea. We've I'm, I'm we've also, seen someone win that, but it was a forced thing. A forced exit from. The well, they party. never got to go. Okay. It was just like you're safe, but you don't get to don't get tribal. To, don't get to. I, I love. I wonder if, when he has to announce that. I wonder if it's when they get to tribal or before, or if he gets to be there until uh, it's time to vote. And he goes, actually, Jeff, like deuces, and then like gets to leave. Yeah, that would be great. Get all the information and then like get to leave. <laughs> That's what I'm rooting for. Yeah. Hey, you want to tell people what to go watch? No, I want to hear what the homework is. Oh yeah, let's do that first. Yeah. Homework. I have homework. What is homework? Do we do that still? Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like a last decade kind of thing. Yeah. So homework is uh, we're going to say something we're going to watch. You guys can watch with us, and we'll do a topic around it. We'll at least discuss the movie. I'll say that at a minimum. And uh, I like I yeah. like it. Coinciding with our year preview in the movies, we got a new Sofia Coppola movie coming out um, with Bill Murray in it. 
Uh, sounds exciting. And I was uh, just thinking what Sofia Coppola movies I haven't seen yet. One of them is The Bling Ring from 2013 on Netflix. I think so. I think. That is correct. It's it's definitely streaming. I just checked before the podcast. But, um, yeah. True Life Story uh, should be fun. Emma Watson's in it. Um, Taisa Farmiga. Vera yep. Farmiga's ah. daughter is in it. Fun. I like her. Um, should be fun. Bunch of uh, people steering, stealing from Paris Hilton and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and Sofia Coppola. So I'll go on Netflix and give it a watch and listen us talk about it in a week. Bling. Yeah. Uh, now do I do the thing? Yeah, sure. do the thing. A couple of movies coming out this weekend. One uh, is actually coming out. No uh, limited release for the uh, Lee Wannell movie. Uh, they directed Upgrade. That's their okay. previous movie. They're directing The Invisible Man. Uh, the weird, like, paranormal-looking adaptation of the H.G. Wells book starring Elizabeth Moss. And then uh, a movie expanding. Autumn DeWild is the director, and she's a photographer. It was her first film. Cool. Uh, but she's directing Anya Taylor-Joy, Johnny Flynn, and Bill Nighy in the newest adaptation of Emma, which is getting pretty damn good reviews, <laughs> oddly. Um... Those are your picks. I'm taking Emma. Oddly. After reading about them this morning. I wish it was called Emma Oddly. Emma Oddly. Yeah. I'm going to take uh, Invisible Man. Uh, love my girl Elizabeth Moss. Sounds like she's getting uh, having another anxious movie. I feel like any movie that she's in, she's like terrorized by something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you watch High Fidelity, uh, the ads on Hulu, I heard, saw about a hundred for this movie. <laughs> so I just want to fill. You in the, need to see it. Yeah, now. I just need to fill in the gaps I haven't seen yet. Nice. <laughs> uh, also got the guy from uh, Haunting on Hill House, the uh, addict brother. He's the sociopath guy. Hmm. Good to see him get uh, get some more work. What you got, Chris? I'm gonna pick Emma. Because I don't know what you're talking about when you were like, they're adapting something. So I'll watch that to find out what you're talking about. It's a Jane Austen novel. Clueless. Okay. Is Emma. Cool. Um, clueless is Brent as to <laughs> what he's... Uh, uh, it's mostly just like, which one do I want to watch least? And that would be Invisible Man. So I'm picking Emma. Emma. Emma takes it. I feel like both these movies could be like anywhere from 10 to 90% on Rotten Tomatoes and I wouldn't be surprised. So no idea. But three of us picked Emma. David's. Rocking the Invisible Man. Yeah. I'm very surprised. <laughs> that we all... In a early February horror movie. He wouldn't be in on it. No, we're in period it pieces now. scary. Huh. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Take it out, Chris. This has been Talkie Talk, the podcast from MediaBias.com. You can find us on Facebook group, TV Bias, Movie Bias, Scans Bias. You can send us an email at MediaBias at gmail.com. You can tweet us at the Media Bias. Tweet, tweet. Thank please, you, Media Bias. Please give us a rating in your favorite podcatching app. I iPod Music. What's it called now? Thank you, iPod Wayne Music. Apple, Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast. Uh, we, we've been calling it iTunes for... <laughs> this feels like a... It's like we dated ourselves, but like not really. Uh, on Apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite podcast app is, I want to give a special thanks to the Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers! The Reva for the outro. Booty boo. And My Lanta. No. <laughs> Thank you, My Lanta! Thank you, everybody. Chicken Rocks. Down old dusty roads Small town, slow pokes Long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know